we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Hail to the King. Well, welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. This is Dave, and I'm here with, not myself, but I'm here with Dave. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. This is uh, Dave Dixon, pastor in Scotland. And uh, Dave, why don't you introduce yourself for folks? Sure. Uh, my name's Dave Dixon. I'm working as a pastor. And give it assistant pastor or just an elder in a church, small church plant in Scotland. Um, I work kind of part-time as the, the pastor and I'm part-time looking at um, education and work based uh, ministry as well so there's a few different things going on and um, what i'm doing so that's me how did you get into pastoral ministry good question uh my dad actually was a pastor he was a baptist pastor um, he trained at london bible college um uh, now it has another name now i think i'm not off top of my head uh, but he um, went and did pastoral work in Wales after he uh, graduated so that's where I grew up and in Wales he was a pastor there and then he also planted a church so I kind of grew up in a Christian household grew up with um, a dad who was involved in that quite heavily uh, but he actually um, I, I had an interest in kind of engineering and stuff and he pushed me towards that to try and get um, skilled as much as possible that actually took me to Edinburgh so I trained as a civil engineer in Edinburgh University in Scotland and um, came out of that went into engineering but really uh, found that it wasn't a particularly family friendly environment uh, on site work a lot of travel uh, so ended up in project management for a while and I, I spent a lot of time getting involved with the church and uh, really wanting to have a desire to teach and to get involved in that aspect of it. And just while I was there, um, was really challenged through, you can stop me at any time, it's a long story, but I was really challenged through the idea of the, the missional movement that came through, maybe from America, <laughs> where um, it was looking at small groups and things and how can we be more missional in the church? So I was a bit skeptical about that movement, but I liked the idea behind it. I wanted to, to do mission well. So really was thinking and praying about what, what does it mean to do mission well? Uh, and at the time, 
we actually came across a, an Acts 29 church in Scotland and really saw a community that was involved in the locality where it was and they were really getting involved in and being bold about the gospel in where they were and it, it was making an impact beyond just the Sunday and so that really got me kind of intrigued and thinking yeah maybe mission is about church planting maybe it's about planting churches so I literally googled church planting in Scotland and discovered that there was a network that was setting up there called 20 schemes um, and it just launched the month before um, so I requested a application really liked the uh, mission that they had that they were gospel focused that they were local and that they were training people on the job which is very much what I was keen on uh, after 17 years in education I wasn't wasn't too keen to go straight back to, to college so um, I applied there got involved in that was training there in Edinburgh for a year and a half and then was sent out on one of their first teams to plant a church in Dundee which is an hour and a half north of Edinburgh so joined together with the church planter there and I became one of the, the elders so that was four years ago now we launched that and briefly describe the neighborhood in which you're ministering the kind of community you're ministering oh yeah so 20 schemes those that missed it schemes are more like projects you would say or where i came from in england in wales it was council estates so areas of deprivation really so when uh, the slum clearances from city centers pushed um kind of working class folks out to the edges into big housing estates. Um, then the jobs disappeared. These areas became really areas of deprivation. So a lot of need. So the, when Christianity shrunk in the UK, it shrunk into the middle class areas. So generally the churches in the town centers are bigger and all the kind of the mission halls and the smaller churches uh, emptied and struggled. So 20 Schemes' vision was really to put healthy gospel churches back into those areas so, so you're more fun. you're more or less in a jack catholic blue collar and uh kind of welfare welfare riding kind of community is that a fair assessment yes uh, yes there's definitely the catholic element we're in a, a small little town that was swallowed by dundee called Lockie and around Lockie is lots of different housing estates and it's historically Catholic area um, yeah so I mean there's, there's plenty of hard-working working class here but then this, baby. Is, this is where the benefit class um, happens as well so yeah a lot of, a lot of struggling in that in that respect so, and there's, there's 22 for the last four years or so, there's been no gospel church uh, here. So that's so, what you, uh, tell me about some of the theology you've been focusing on in, in recent years. Sure. Uh, well, <clears throat> I think it really started 
um, as I was, cons I, 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 do, I do practical things, <laughs> quite a practical guy. So my theology, I really want to know um, what does that look like on the ground? Yeah. So really the first big step of that was kind of getting off the middle class train of heading up and out of places and thinking about what does mission look like and 20 schemes in that respect really helped me to think about doing the reverse you know how, how do we how do we start building from the bottom up how do we go back to the first principles and rethink our foundations so it was really helpful for me that training but it was it was almost the first step in a, in a long line of of um how do we start rethinking? You know, I, I've inherited very much a religion from my from my father and from um, the kind of evangelical world. And uh, when I started questioning some of the ideas with church planting, I thought, you know, what else? What else are we looking at? So one of the first things um, I began to think about um, was youth youth ministry and children's ministry. So when we talk about um, Sunday school here, we don't quite mean what you mean there. We mean more to do with the kids going out during the service. Um, and I really started to think about uh, what, what is the effectiveness of youth ministry? And I was reading a few books on that. And as we planted the church, we wanted to focus on bringing the whole family together in worship. So not What kind of books did you read? Yeah, I'll, I'll have to let you, I'll, I'll, I can't remember off the top of my head. That's fine. That's I can, fine. I can give you that. It was, it was, um, it was a guy that did a lot of uh, investigation into the, the movement of youth ministry down in London. And he was just, he was following the realities of, you know, we've, we've stopped focusing on adults mission and we've gone full into youth ministry. What has been the outcome of that after decades? And the answer was, our kids are leaving the church faster than ever. So maybe maybe we've not done the right thing here. So that really got me thinking in that respect. And we uh, very much were trying to integrate our kids into the service as fast as possible. But then that started to lead into um, not just education on a Sunday, but education throughout the week. Um, so I knew that uh, some people had, people, people had talked to me about Christian schooling and um, the Christian schooling in the UK is, is not very widespread. Homeschooling not really met many people who'd done it or were doing it. Um, it's seen as more of a fringe thing. So just not really come across my radar. Um, You're a fringe so, guy. <laughs> I don't have a fringe, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> fringe is what I'm lacking. Uh, that's why I be. Um, it was. Uh, it was actually when you came. It was your fault, really. Uh, and you introduced me to um, some of the stuff by Doug Wilson, which I, when I first engaged with a theological look at Christian education and what happened behind that. So. Um, yeah, in fact, ever since you were here, it all went to pot. I've always been doing that. 
yeah. I did a, so I was kind of already on the road and then that kind of pushed me over the edge um, of what, what it would look like to, to seriously think about um, raising my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, so uh, three years ago or so, started to have some serious conversations with Kath, my wife, and um, then a year and a half ago now, we pulled our kids out of school and started to, to look at educating them at home. But I still have the, the pastor heart really for the community. Um, so it's, although homeschooling is great, the heart really is to try and, and, and restart um, Christian education on, on a wider scale. You know, what does it look like to not only do it well for our kids, but to expand that to the church family first and then beyond that to the community. Um, so really trying to think about those aspects. And then that leads on to other stuff, but I don't know whether you've got more questions. Uh, if I ask some further questions about the schooling, will you, will you, will you remember the other things that it leads into? Yes. Oh, okay. So before we get into those other things, um, you made a go at not just homeschooling, but actually starting a, a classical Christian school right yes. off the bat. Yes. And, and so you, you face some unique Holy challenges me. with that. Um, hopefully learn some things. Uh-huh. You know, I, I've got the goal of eventually starting a, a classical Christian school, you know, in Idaho. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, share, share, share your wisdom with me, share the lessons learned. You, you tried this thing, you ran into some roadblocks and so you're approaching it from a different angle now. What happened? What were those difficulties? What did you learn? Cool. Yeah. Um, I read the kind of success stories of some of the schools that started in the States where, you know, one family gathered three families and then two years later, there's 240 pupils in school. And I thought, okay, that sounds good. Let's try that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Scotland wasn't ready for that. Um, yeah, I, I, that one's not ready for much. No. So uh, the idea was to, to just test the waters to see if there was a, a, a hunger for this, whether the Lord was doing something um, ahead of time. And so we did, we, we looked to do a, a mini conference um, to try and garner some interest from different people. Um, we we were pioneering something, so we needed a group of people who were, who were looking to pioneer together. Um, as I was looking at education, found other people who were homeschooling that I'd not really come across before, some of them even classically homeschooling, so I thought, well, this is great, you know, connections are coming up. So we partnered with another church to think through this, to put on a conference. We had about 60 people come to that. Um, uh, yeah, representing 10, 15 families. Um, but I, <laughs> I don't know whether my marketing, had, 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 there was an issue with my marketing, but I think most people there were assuming that it was happening. And they, we were just meeting in order to, to work out, you know, how much is it going to cost and, you know, where is it going to be and that kind of thing. So it, it was not that. And we were much further down the line than that. Um, plus, as we got more uh, vocal about 
Christian schooling, the, the, the bias against Christian schooling, not from secular society, but from the Christian church, kicked up a storm. Speak into that a little bit more. You know, what, what do you mean by that? Well, the assumption that you need an alternative is that the current thing is bad. So um, when you have, when either your mission is very much thinking that you are a Christian teacher in a, in a uh, public school, or whether it's the fact that um, you are a Christian parent interacting with other parents at the local school and you're looking to be either you're looking to be salt and light in that area or you're asking your kids to be salt and light in that area. Um, you know, this, this is a generational thing. Like we have been doing this assumed thing for a long time. And there are a lot of, you know, nice teachers in school. Why, why would we pull our kids out of that situation? Plus, uh, it's uncomfortable when you think about doing something like this. We very much, at, or, or, or even less than yourselves in America, we have no vision of paying for education. You know, we don't start savings accounts as soon as our kids are born. I mean, we just, it's not in our plan. So we don't, um, you know, we get into debt and we, we, work on two salaries and all these various ideas which would which would throw out any idea of, of bringing kids home to educate them or, or, or pay for pay for someone to educate them it's almost like Scotland's that, secular society has been built to make it easy and convenient for parents to offload their children to the state and just get on with their lives and at the same time to be accustomed to social programs funded by taxes such that the thought of shoot my government's taking a lot of my money and i'm still going to have to pay for these things that they've already taken money for because i'm in the hole and i'm going to put the first shovel down yeah yeah i mean when you've been sitting into some boiling water for a long time reversing that is not an easy process so, I mean, we are, you know, thank, thanks to the Lord, we're in a position that we could reverse it quickly because of decisions that we made 10 years ago that which we didn't realize would impact, you know, and I, it's, it's because of, uh, you know, generational effects, you know, my dad instilled stuff into me, which even without realizing it made me, you know, put me in a position where I could do it better and quicker and easier. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's um that's very much a part of it and that that's a lot of the elements of what i learned you know with that push pushing forward very quickly with that so how are you pushing forward to that goal now having hit that roadblock it sounds like there's a lot of teaching that needs to be done thankfully you're a, a bible teacher you're a pastor i know north of you um how far north is aberdeen an hour another hour and a half yeah so you go an hour and a half north i've heard rumors out here in san diego that there's a christian school getting started up up there is there any help to your efforts in dundee from them you know what does the path forward look like you know your your next immediate steps yeah so uh the, an hour and a, in the uk an hour and a half is a long way 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I was living there, you know, it was like this big thing to go from Edinburgh to Glasgow. And it's like an hour down the road. I'm like, that's, that's the neighboring town. What are you talking about? I, yeah. I would drive when I was in Nevada, I was driving an hour and a half to church. Yeah. So. And that, that was your local church though, Dad. Yeah. Crazy. It, yeah, it, was yeah. the, it was the closest, closest to reformed church I could find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are a few different things going on. Um, uh, I'm trying to make connections to, encourage one another and um you know share experiences and that kind of stuff so that's something that's in the works but from a, a personal point of view i kind of recognized that i needed to start I, I looked at my own life and realized that christian education was not my first step there were many things that came before that and so i recognized that if i'm going to encourage people in that direction i need to take them through the similar steps that I did or the Lord took me through. So I kind of went back to the idea or rooted things in, in family worship. And I think that's very much a basis of education. As so we remember. That word worship, you're using that really close to, to family discipleship. Is that, is that where those yeah. things relate in terms of how you're teaching it to people? Yes. In, this, in the sense of encouraging fathers to take back the responsibility of leading their family in worship regularly as an understanding of that. That's the first thing we gave up, I think, is that we, you know, we gave up the teaching of our ch kids in Sunday school and in youth clubs and stuff to the church. And we stepped back more than we should have. So... In, in, in looking to recover Christian education, I, I looked at that as the first step, you know, of encouraging fathers to step up and take responsibility of that aspect first. Um, and I have seen, you know, in, in practice that it's generally fathers who are doing that are more open to thinking about, you know, the next steps beyond that. So that's really one of the things that I've started to focus on and then just really praying into the Lord, bringing other people around us, going back to the idea of if we're pioneering something, we need a critical mass of people. So instead of jumping straight into a school, why don't we just do a homeschool co-op to begin with until we grow out of that and have need for, you know, the bigger structure of a school. And your co-op is growing right now yes your boys are growing like like beanstalks so there's just necessary growth that's happening there <laughs> yes yeah and we there's a, a a family that came up from london to join with us so that's another four kids that have joined sick a family so from london with four kids let's go yeah, I, <laughs> I don't expect that we've got our three boys and then their four kids and then um the other pastor with me as well, his, his oldest um, is just joining us. And Great. She, she, has, she has two, uh, another sister and brother at the moment, and then she's got another sister and brother on the way with twins. So, so plenty, yeah. of, uh, plenty of kids coming up through slowly. Uh, okay, a couple questions related 
in America, uh, a couple problems with the Christian education homeschool movement here, wondering how you see it there, if you're doing anything about it. One, evolutionary thought has been making inroads. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because some fools still think Tim Keller is a respectable name. Uh, and he likes evolution. So I, I don't know why this is the case. But evolution has been making some inroads into some very popular curriculum source, source material. Okay. And, uh, you know, so it was actually, I, I really didn't get, have my hands on Christian, classical Christian material until recently. And then was surprised to see some of the things in there. How have you gone about trying to find curriculum you're actually happy with, you actually trust? How much have you um, depended on pre-made curriculum versus trying to develop your own? Can you speak to that? Um, sure. <clears throat> we very much just um, looked at and uh, relied on some of the advice uh, from others I mean, we were originally, we have, are connected um, with the Logos elements with um, that, that homeschooling material. So we have, we have taken most of our recommendations from um, them in Moscow. I, I mean, I, I, think I, I think we have to recognize in the Christian life of this, we're always going to be fighting you know, we're always going to be fighting, falling off. I don't want side. to, Dave. I just want it easy. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, we just, we just need to remember that that's always going to be a fight. So, yeah, I'm, when, you know, ourselves, we need to watch our own lives and we need to watch whatever we're, we're feeding our kids. So, I mean, for some things, we've taken curriculums directly from Christian, classical Christian positions on on other things like business I was looking at a business course I simply took a, um, a good secular material and then I I built my own um, course curriculum around that so that kind of thing um, but yeah we're a year and a half in so in, in one sense it's quite um, yeah it's quite short notice on that element so we we've not done um sometimes it's planning on the fly <laughs> yeah 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 i think i think we do need to keep our we do need to keep an eye out on, and um you know our kids are young enough that so we're, we're just laughing at evolution at the moment so yeah later hopefully, later hopefully, hopefully they don't grow out of that <laughs> later we'll get into the, the, the apologetics and the, the logical arguments behind it but yeah uh, as a quick aside, how's your youngest doing with his catechism? How many Ethan. questions? Yeah, yeah. I, well, cool. I didn't know if you didn't want me to use his name, but yeah, Ethan. Uh, how many <laughs> questions does he have? Uh, we're not. Uh, we're not currently doing the catechism. Oh no! Oh <laughs> no! Disappoint you? Just disappoint you? Um, we. Oh, what was that word when he was three? He just popped his head over the the kitchen table and. Was it, um, uh, it was about, it was about the word showing itself to be the word and your five-year-old, your eight-year-old couldn't, couldn't recall it. And he just pops his head yeah, up. 
It's like a, I, I do, I do like remember that. I an eight-syllable word he's just thrown out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, when um, things switched up a little bit when we started the, the homeschool stuff. So we, we, we took some of the Bible um, curriculum that they had and we, we changed into that. So, I mean, we've, we've covered, uh, we've studied now in family worship and through the school system close to three quarters of the bible books of the bible and that's you know that's with ethan's level that's with a five-year-old so he he in his lifetime has has remembered studying through that much of the bible so not even just reading it um you know and he's what letter grade do you do you give for a 75 percent what letter grade <laughs> i don't know c b you're only you're only saying you did 75 percent i mean do you want me to praise you for that dave i don't know what's the 75 percent here <laughs> i'm uh <laughs> hey so one thing one thing uh that's a reality in the west broadly so you, we've got it in different ways in scotland and in america secularly and then it's something that is sometimes actually just exacerbated in the christian schooling movement it's this crisis of masculinity. And so in American Christian schools, homeschool and, and otherwise, you, uh, you can see a, a softness, a prissiness developed. Uh, guys don't have any callous. They're conflict averse. It's very much a woman's world. And so they, those who are successful in that end up having to suppress what God gave them and grow into something otherwise, something more androgynous. Mm -hmm. You know, and in Scotland broadly, um, there's a crisis of masculinity. If we think William Wallace is walking down the street and the son of the English Duke. Does he, is, does he have a blue face or not? I'm trying. To not yet. This. Not yet. Right. Don't be don't be hating on Mel Gibson. All right, the man has done fantastic movies. One of the greatest actors of all time, and his Scottish accent and Braveheart was impeccable at a Sean Connery level. I believe you. But William Wallace is walking down the street. The son of the Duke that's taken over his town, uh, tyrannically, illegitimately, demands that he give him his knife, and he says no. Demand, no. Demand, no. Finally, he acquiesces and gives him the knife in the gut. And before you know it, you've got thousands amassed at Sterling fighting off long shanks. So you have, you have that Scotland. You have Scotland of Robert, not Bruce, but Robert V. Bruce. You have the Scotland of John Knox and the Covenanters, Richard Cameron. Yeah. And today... This is not a unique problem in Scotland, but you have what you call the benefit class, right? Yep. <laughs> There's other words we could use for that. You have the benefit class. I remember I was watching a, a comedy special with Stevie G over there, and uh, the, the comedian, who was quite foul, points at a guy on the front row and says, yeah, well, what do you do for work? And he just says, you know, uh, what, what do you call it? He's, oh, I'm on the brew. 
and yeah. just like like no shame <laughs> he's with a girl he has no shame yeah i'm on the brew i don't do i don't do anything and uh and it struck me like wow i i think i would lie in that situation and say i would do something i clean gas station floors because i'm not on the brew so you, you have that but then even beyond that when i was in edinburgh before i was in dundee you had the alfie evans situation where a boy is sick he is going to die from the sickness and there's an ex, uh, experimental treatment in italy that they offer him for free they offer to transport him to italy for free to try this and his parents are like yeah while there's breath there's hope let's do that and the hospital wouldn't release their son and then it went to court and the court sided with the hospital to not release their son and so they kept Alfie prisoner until he died in the hospital and and we could talk about what that father should have done but I remember being at church and bringing this up to solid Christian men and everyone their reaction being nah nah that was the reaction and it blew my mind I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know if you know this uh movie but there's a movie John Q with Denzel Washington and his son needs medical treatment and it's not coming and he just freaking takes over a hospital. I know you guys don't do handguns, but he has a handgun and he takes over a hospital. He's going to make sure his son lives, even if it costs him his life. And it just amazed me how compliant people were ready to be just compliant. And I don't want to jump the gun and get into COVID yet, but it's, there's more of it there, I think. So, and, and compliance is, um, uh, of femininity you know in yeah. its in its best form you see it beautifully and best in women sweet compliant little boys can be popped out of christian schools quite easily and uh so there's all sorts of ways to counteract that that i'm sure you're thinking about and trying to enact one of them that i think you are uh remarkably gifted at is the trades i think i think a boy g giving himself the time with the trades will necessarily help undermine any kind of effeminate tendencies within him he's getting his hands on something he's getting calluses he's he's learning hard real world truths and and a lot of time in the classical christian movement the trades are are a by thought and to their credit they're they're focused on the liberal arts but if anybody does it i think you're gonna you're gonna be the guy that blends the classical liberal arts and a rigorous study of the trades how are you trying to do that with your own schooling efforts for your boys in this co-op uh specifically so the trades in christian education yeah i mean uh i remember reading a quote about the um the pharisees who used to say if if you don't um give your son a trade you train him to be a thief so it it, it makes i love sense. the pharisees man <laughs> <laughs> dang that's great it makes, it makes sense that paul had a you know had a trade as well as as yeah. well as his education yeah and um you know I, in my public schooling um education i was I was taught about, you know, kids who would go to work at 
seven down the mines or you know this that and the other and we were we were meant to respond with shock um to that state um but the reverse is now true i mean i i'm a case in point to some extent that i was 25 before i fully came out of the education system into the working world oh. it, it's just crazy yeah <laughs> you know we've gone from one extreme to the other it's terrible so there's there's and then um, if you if you had followed the system that you got another six years of uh of uh seminary coursework to yep. go sit along with you you're in your 30s before you get out and start charging ahead productively yeah so because of because we're doing the homeschooling because we can have um, a bit more of a cleaner slate and think about education and think about how it how it um, connects into the working world i mean the reality is household wise we have separated these two things yeah you know the husband went out to work first leaving the wife and kids at home or or probably actually <laughs> in the industrial revolution they all went out to the same work <clears throat> but more more recently we've separated you know the father goes off to the office and the mother goes out to work and then the kids go to go to their schooling um i mean we actually sit in our church there's a building opposite our church building which was a half-time school so the kids would um do their schooling in the morning and then they'd go work in the mill in the afternoon well uh, some arsonists burnt it down right no 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 <clears throat> it's the it's where the boys brigade is currently so that, okay. that, that was the half-time school yeah the, the the church down the road they burned down they so i've really been thinking on that element of how can i introduce my boys into the workplace quicker um and and try and, and reconnect those three elements of um you know home home work and education that have been so separated and, and try to to build a, a strong household um so i'm looking to one of the reasons that i set up or, or expanded um the, the woodworking business that i currently have um so i do that in the afternoons now i do my pastoral work um kind of in the mornings or evenings um with the idea that when the boys hit 12 <clears throat> i can start taking them in the afternoons to work alongside me um, and trying to 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 get back to the old family business model you know dixon and sons <laughs> um because we 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 want to try and invest with the idea of, of trying to invest in something you know <clears throat> currently currently it's it's laughably small i've got a small shed in my back garden um you know and i'm tripping over myself trying to make huge kids beds you have the so. most productive tiny shed your, your shed <laughs> is in america you know it's used for like the push mower and uh, the the weed whacker and a few a few things like that you have a full-on wood shop in a tiny backyard shed it's amazing and it's a great place to smoke a pipe yeah and, and my customers appreciate the 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 pipes smoke on their on their products it's good did, did anybody comment on that <laughs> oh good <laughs> 
Ooh, they got their like three-year-old little princess in a princess castle and it's like, it just reeks of tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the idea is, is to try and merge the two as, as soon as possible. So okay. you know, with the recognition that, um, you know, it's, uh, schooling goes on till three in the afternoon, not because kids need that long at school, but because yeah. it's childcare. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, there, there should be the capacity, as with, with homeschooling, we have, the, we have the opportunity to get the kids to self-learn quicker, um, you know, do, do more book learning and, and be supportive in that way. And so we're looking to move them on in their education to such that they will, you know, we can free them up in the afternoons to, to get into the working world. Uh, even before that, I did the business curriculum last year and they, they set up a little sweetie stall, what you might call a lemonade stand, um, outside our house. So they're getting to know the neighbors and they're selling sweets to the neighbors. So that probably violates some kind of regulation in Scotland. Maybe, but I try and keep on our property. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. If it is our property, I don't know whether I actually own it. Or Ethan, not. Ethan misbehaves, and right there, right there in front of everyone, you you uh you smack him. <laughs> the police are called. You get twenty five police cars. <laughs> you trying to get me arrested, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> you don't smack your kids, man. No, no way. <laughs> you would never do that because you love your kids, and so you wouldn't discipline them with the firm rod right. to keep them from hell. You know, you know what we have started recently, though. Just listening to your last podcast, they've started doing press ups. Nice back chat. <laughs> nice. Heck yeah, yeah. That, it works. That, that, that PE wall, lessons covered. Wall sits. If you have space, burpees, press ups. You know, and uh, you've got an entire ninja obstacle course you know, in your attic, yeah. these, these kids are going to be set up with some good firm grip strength and they're, they're not going to struggle so, to carry their body weight. So, um, I can't remember. There was some, something the boys wanted to do. And I, oh no, we were doing our, we were doing after family worship in the evening, we were doing our, uh, after the Bible, we went around and we say what we're thankful for and the challenge, whatever challenge we had that day. So I was starting to get a bit frustrated because they, the boys never had any challenges. So I was joking with them that I'm going to start making up some challenges every time they say they don't have one. Um, and then they, they wanted to do something in the evening. So I, I said to Josh and Noah, that you, the older two, that you had to go and, and do something around the block, I think, go run around the block. Um, Ethan was a bit young for that. So... I suggested that he went up into the loft and did several circuits of the ninja obstacle course, which he was quite excited about. And I, I left him up there to do it. And then <laughs> just, I mean, what age, what age is he at this point? He's five. It wasn't that long ago. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm picturing three-year-old Ethan <laughs> doing yeah. this obstacle course, a pegboard. <laughs> first time, first time I kind of left him up there alone. And then there was this almighty crash. Oh yeah. And a cry, and yeah. then I ran ran back up to discover that he'd slipped off the first obstacle, landed on the the loft boards, and snapped it completely oh. in two. 
So that was um, fun times. Oh, man. I can't remember what the question was. What were you even talking about? Well, uh, it was broadly crisis oh, masculinity oh. and then the trades in the there. Work, the workplace, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm hoping to try and marry the two as much as possible going forward because I, I, I recognize that um, with homeschooling, one of the disadvantages um, is that it's for, for boys is that the dad is usually has his work uh, arranged in such a way that he cannot apprentice his own sons yeah. when they, you know, when they get from seven to 12 and, and, and onwards, our society is, is built around jobs that don't allow children in the workplace. Yeah. Um, so really that's why I'm kind of trying, trying to think of how, how do I apprentice them both in, uh, the idea of pastoral ministry and also the idea of the, the, the trades and things on the side. Um, so it's, well, it's still, still a growing thought. A, a, a nascent idea I have for, you know, a future potential school is that if you are uh, a young man at Stone Mountain Academy, you cannot graduate until you, you do two things. One, rebuild an engine nice. and and uh, not, you know, not individually, you know, but participating in it. But then two, at first the idea was bigger, build a house, but financially I'm just not, I'm not loaded. So, you know, do an addition or do a reno, a room reno or something like that, you know, update yeah. a bathroom or something like that. Because when I'm reflecting on my own life, it was just so divorced from anything useful. I mean, I spent most of my education just learning how to be an environmentalist and a communist and Anything I've learned practically, I've had to pick up. Yeah. So, uh, you you earlier talked about how when you were when you were speaking to issues with schooling, it led to other things. Uh, were there other things that that you feel pressed to to bring up that you want to put before people's minds, or uh, was this a good time to shift to COVID? Well. I think it links in, it, so it, it links in with the idea of, of the workplace. So yeah. it's, I think naturally the workplace is the next stage as you, as you try and reorder um, worship in your life, as you try and reorder discipleship through education that has the two, the two elements, you know, pushing you uh, first into the fear of the Lord, but then into, you know, the dominion mandate. Yeah. And um, all, all of that, um, should be part of our witness in the community. And um, one of the things that we do as, or, you know, that we do when we church plant is often we don't go to the local liberal church with, you know, a whole lot of conservatives and try and change it from the inside. Generally, we start a new one because yep. we, want, we want the ability and authority to be able to dictate what goes on. Yep. And so um, I think it would be great that we don't just start Christian schools, but Christian businesses so that we can make a, a greater influence in the community. And, and protect ourselves from fragility. Yes. Ultimately, the government is not going to shrink until we start taking back. Uh, that's some dangerous language, you Welshman. That's some dangerous <laughs> language. <laughs> 
you threatening gonna, what the government has? <laughs> no, but in a in a practical sense, you know, if we've if they grow as we give up, so you know, unless we're prepared to take back, you know, there's there's no point sitting whining about it. You know, we've we've got to be in a position to be able to to take back the responsibility, and, and that that's ultimately the the definition of freedom, liberty. You know, yep. the ability to carry responsibility. So that's what we're trying to train our sons and daughters to do is is to be free um so yeah that that, that was the other element of um that's like you're stealing from an old william wallace there yeah. making fun of him one moment and then quoting him the next <laughs> well as you as you as you just uh, revealed to everybody i'm not scottish so. <laughs> is that that's not being a welshman isn't it would be if you were an englishman that would be the problem no, 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 but I'm saying I don't know my Scottish history as well. Oh, being, well, being when, uh, when I was living there, a, a lot of my friends went out of their way to correct any kind of impression that I had that William Wallace was this virtuous hero. It was a, it was a big concern. I mean, I, I went to the place of the battle and, well, you know, the, his, uh, his foibles and dark sides were the, the emphasis which I found really interesting, curious, and I don't know where that is coming from, because then subsequently did some minimal study of him. You know, I don't know if you have the Canon app, but they've got a, a lecture from Steve Wilkins on him. And you listen to that and you think, oh my gosh, this guy's like, this guy's a superhero. I love this guy. Nice. No, yeah, I've not, I've not heard that. That's cool. So uh, what are you doing toward that end of encouraging even just the belief that it's objectively better than being an employee of a pagan uh, to start a Christian company, even, even going so far as convincing people there's something called a Christian company that's distinct from a pagan company uh, or, or working for a, a Christian business owner. You know, I know you've, tried to recruit people to start a Christian medical practice. Um, yeah, that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. You know, where are you at in terms of promoting this idea? Uh, I started one. That was it. I managed to convince myself. But you had already started one. <laughs> this is a uh, kids, kids bed well, Dundee. It, it was a hobby. It was a hobby. It wasn't. Um, yeah, it was okay. uh, every now and again when I felt like it, I might do one. Gotcha. What, but you frequently felt like it. <laughs> you always had a bed you were constructing. Yeah. So more, more recently, it, it got a bit more serious in the sense of I wanted to make space and time to be able to take someone on. So previously it was in the evenings, you know, so now, now I've carved out afternoons and I have an apprentice who works with me two days a week. Um, Heck yeah. To, so to, to, to pass on the skills and to train so yeah that yeah i started doing it myself so do you do you haze your apprentice do i haze him yeah no <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a soft welshman <laughs> learning oh man i was i was really hoping you did because it would just it would be surprising and a great story you should think about hazing him i know it might be late in the game but just kind of introduce it All right Call it, call it character development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll run it past him at our next meeting. Okay, uh, 
COVID. We're talking about COVID. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, give me uh, an overview. Uh, give me some kind of feel for the timeline, right? Because I'm, I'm more familiar with the timeline of events in America and how different American governments uh, hand, handled it and then how American citizens and churches responded. So give me, give me a, a nice grasp, some pegboard handholds of the COVID, and by COVID, I'm talking less about the disease and much more about the government handling of said disease. Uh, give me an understanding of that, of the timeline from when it started to where you're at now. And then I want to get into how it was responded to by the people who knew not freedom. Uh, I don't know. I'm always hazy with, with timings, but I mean, it, I think it was around March or so last year that that's, we started to get some indication that some of the bigger churches were, were closing down. Um, and then it just, just very quickly, everyone stopped meeting. By, by um, government decree or it was done voluntarily? I'm trying to remember actually. No, I think it was voluntary to begin with. Oh, wow. I think it was okay. voluntary. Okay. Um, and then, then there was, uh, so I think, I think we kept meeting a few Sundays longer, but then it went from voluntary to non-voluntary. And so non-voluntary, <laughs> give me your money in a non-voluntary way. <laughs> like my, my it was non-voluntary. <laughs> I went to jail in a non-voluntary fashion. <laughs> <laughs> you asked very nicely. <laughs> oh man! And then, then we we stayed locked down until the summer, and right. as soon as we were able to open up um, as a small church, we could do it the first Sunday. So first Sunday we could open up. Just because of number, capacity, and size of building, like percentages of your building capacity, kind of deal. Yes, yes, because it was, I'm pretty sure it was a 50 limit and we were well under that. Yeah. Um, Bursting at the seams at that, that 25%. Even, <laughs> yeah, that 50 didn't even include children. So, I mean, we were, we were well yet. under that. But, but also the fact, because we had a small building, we could, you know, we could shift chairs about easily and, yeah. and put up one-way systems and and were, that kind of thing, so. were, were masks required for those meetings in terms of the government side of things? So it, it changed. Um, that it, was, it was recommended, to begin with, it was recommended when we opened up. Okay. This is in so the summer. It was recommended that. that you wear masks in, yep. in the summer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, but then, then later on, it switched. So the majority of things were recommendations. Okay. Even the, even the not singing was a recommendation. But then suddenly the mass switched to law. In fact, even before that, we had... 
Oh, I'm trying to remember that. Like, there was an element. There was an element of we wore a mask when we were walking around, but then when we sat, we could take it off. Then it then it switched to no, you need to wear them all the time, and then it switched to law. Did they have any recommendations or laws regarding the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Good question. Uh, when apparently none that were recognized by your church. <laughs> not not as in to not take it, but I think they were. Okay. We 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 went to um, we went to individual little cups um, for for the juice and the and the bread. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we 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 did a risk assessment and put various different um, elements in place so that we could keep meeting. And um, so that was in the summer. And then, then it reduced and then things reduced again to, to take it to 20 limit. Okay. That was after, that was after Christmas. So the final thing that we managed just before Christmas was uh, um, a carol service where we had um, up to the 50, we were hovering around the 50 mark. Um, and either a neighbor or a passerby um, called the police on us because they said we had more we had more like a hundred people in the church, which we which we didn't. You wish uh, you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be nice. Because <laughs> um, we yeah we we had the whole place socially distanced chair wise, so we couldn't have fit a hundred people in. Anyway, I love please. that. I love that the uh, the British talk about social distancing and gatherings as if they're not already not touching each other. Yeah, we don't, we don't. Such do a that. tactile people. We don't do the Holy Kiss. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's fine. Fact, you it's can't, if, you're, if you're wearing, if you're wearing a face mask, you cannot do a Holy Kiss. There yeah. seems to be a problem there. Despite <laughs> your efforts to introduce it. Oh man. I had a guy down in Edinburgh who would always give me the, just the wettest Holy Kiss right on the cheek. Wow. It was fantastic. It was that time you woke me up from my nap with a holy kiss. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was just before I kicked you out. It was close. It was close to that. I mean, it was. It was a consequential kiss. It it, it got me kicked out of the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after, yeah, the the police turned up after everyone had gone. So they were they were happy that we weren't doing whatever they were told that we were doing. You guys ever um, flyered with gospel tracks, the, the neighborhood, or flyered for this or that event or whatever? Did we? Or have you ever? Yes. So a after that, I'm sure you flyered the neighborhood with just a, a simple, you know, a simple notice that sti uh, snitches get stitches. Don't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, the next day we were out. Uh, then after Christmas, it, it reduced again down to 20 okay. people. Um, but again, we were under that number. No. Uh, I'm trying, it can't be, it can't have been after Christmas because then it closed down. I can't remember when the 20 was, but yeah, in January anyway, we've, we've, we've been um, shut completely. So when, uh, the new lockdown went in. Uh, 
across England and Wales, Scotland um, closed churches for the, well. The second time? Yeah, for the second time. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that through the previous two lockdowns, they hadn't. How, how has the, you know, I'm a huge fan of Nicholas Sturgeon. And uh, how, has, how has the SMP differed in its approach to uh, COVIDiacy than the Tories of England, which apparently are just not, not a very conservative group of guys. <laughs> the mask has come off, so to speak, for the Tories in my understanding of uh, their level of conservatism. But uh, Boris Johnson is no Trump. But how is the how is the SMP and Nicola differed from the Tories, or have they been fairly in lockstep through the process? I think in general they've been fairly fairly similar. I mean, we have been blessed with a bit more freedom. The the two things that we've um, taken advantage of is the children are not included in the numbers. Um, and the the fact that um, previous two lockdowns churches weren't um, closed, so they, that, they were an exception. Yes. So you did not have to lock down at all. In the in the second two of the three lockdowns. Okay. In the original one we did. Okay. Um, but then actually. England has been a bit looser on the uh, kind of home home situation. So Scotland have been a bit tighter on how many people you can have at your house. Um, so they reduced the, the six person rule to a one other person from one other family, whereas England were a bit more open. So hospitality closed down for us quite significantly in Scotland in the last two lockdowns. Our, our current Assistant Secretary of Health is a transgender uh, named Dick Levine, which is ironic, but he goes by the name Rachel Levine. And he's from my brother's state of Pennsylvania. And uh, he put out a notice. You may, maybe you heard it. I don't. He put out a notice and, and in it, he gave advice basically on how to be a hoe that is COVID conscious. So, if you're going to sleep around, be careful with who you sleep around with and see if maybe you can just sleep around with a handful of people that you're not married to. <laughs> so hospitality has also decreased in America <laughs> in the COVID time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. So earlier you, you said something along the lines of that the government will take wherever we give up. And at the end of the day, if we want freedom, if we want the ability to carry God-given responsibility in a God-honoring way, we have to take it. And um, and I'm obviously I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that quote to say anything revolutionary. So it's not like that. But that broad principle, yeah, is I think is a fair representation of what you said. I agree with you. And I know you are a believer in the idea of sphere sovereignty and, yep. and limited government, both the limited government of the individual, of the family, of the church, of the state, of a business. We have all been given 
rights and responsibilities, both as individuals and institutions that are from God and determined by, limited by God. And so through, though the specifics of the overreach, and let's even say the tyranny in Scotland and England and America have, have differed here and there, they've broadly followed a similar pattern. And, uh, and the pattern is the, the government not minding its own business. The government trying to set terms for families where it's not the business of the government to set terms for families. It's not the business of the government to treat the healthy like they're sick and so tell you you can't have more than six in your home or more than one other in your home. You know, the, the government does have some responsibility as far as quarantining the sick goes, whether or not they should bury an entire city alive like old Edinburgh. But they, they don't have, which is crazy, it's they did it and you can take a tour of it. Yep. But, but that was for the bubonic plague. For something other than the bubonic plague even, they don't have the, response, they don't have the ability, the, the, the authority from on high to treat the healthy like they're sick. Nor do they have the authority to dictate to the church of Jesus Christ whether it can gather together in his heavenly throne room, whether the church can sing, whether the church can literally, metaphorically or otherwise, give each other a holy kiss. <laughs> it's not its business. And every time individuals, families, and churches say, yes, sir, to a government not minding its business, it, uh, you know, one, th one thing in America, there's the constitution and there's precedent. So the longer a precedent is set, it's irrelevant whether or not it's constitutional, it's precedent. And yeah. so it's just the way things work. It, you know, uh, precedent gets set and, and uh, the new world order, you know, further reaches into the nooks and crannies. So I just put that on the table. Do you agree with me? Do you have pushback for me? Uh, where are you with the things I just said? So I'd never really thought about any of this previous to this. And I, I definitely think that's part of the Lord's plan, um, you know, is to shake us out of our comfort. Right. I've definitely been trying to think of what, what does it look like for the church to engage with the civil realm? Um, because we are not, we're not separate from it. You know, we have responsibilities. Amen. You know, biblically, the, the name of the leader in the, in the civil realm was the same as the, you know, the name that we've taken on elder, you know, is all over the old Testament for the civil overseers and deacons. Yeah. So the idea that there should be a partnership between the two, um, is very clear to me. And I think when I, when I look at the education sphere and, and health and welfare and all that kind of stuff, there is very small voice left of the church in those elements. And I think that is a sad thing. Um, and um, we can, we have historically, I think, pushed it so far that we, we try to say that the church needs to mind its own business and go about the thing that it's responsible for and leave the government to do what it's responsible for. But the reality is that if it's not God's law, it's someone else's law. Yeah. And that's not going to produce a just society. 
Uh, careful so, now, careful. That's it. Kind of sounded a little theonomic there, brother. And you gotta be careful. <laughs> gotta be careful with your language, there, brother. <laughs> so, I. But on the flip side of that, I do recognize that there is there is overlap between the spheres. You know, the government's job is to pick up where the family uh, have failed in their discipline you know when a child gets to the point where they need punishment through the state you know that that is a, an, an element that I, I recognize is the government's responsibility unruly children executed yeah. <laughs> so the the line is 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 hazy and it needs fought for between those two elements um, and to be honest, I think the problem, although there is a lot of overreach of the government in respect to COVID, I think the problem has been more to do with the fact that it's um, overreacted in its overreach, if that makes sense. Like I recognize oh. Yeah, they go hand in hand, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if we were in the bubonic plague, and the government was recommending all the stuff it is currently recommending, I would definitely see a lot more wisdom in it. Well, even there, uh, you just, uh, you kind of pulled a, a non-voluntary card there. Uh, you said recommending. Because, you know, yeah. I, have no, I have no issue with government recommendations on a whole host of things, if they so desire. I mean, I don't really want them to give me nutritional recommendations. I, I think I can handle that myself, thank you very much. But I'm not particularly threatened by recommendation. It's when they understand themselves to have mandatory recommendations that they're going to coerce upon the people. And I, I am, uh, I'm not a libertarian. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm about to publish a, a little short little thing for the blog against freedom of religion and free speech and free markets. I'm, I'm not a libertarian. All right. uh, but uh, let's say in the bubonic plague, it, one thing the government has the ability to do well, if they took advantage of it, is network. You know, they're, they're set up to network incredibly, incredibly well. And so it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, some minister in the government is able to get uh, an audience with a group of really uh, careful, thoughtful health professionals and put his concerns on the table and then get good feedback that he can then, from his platforms, put before a whole host of people that they didn't have the ability to get their thoughts before. Yep. And, and if that's what we're talking about, I mean, that's, I think that's a really cool thing and, uh, and, and could result in lives being saved, especially if you're talking about Ebola or the bubonic plague. But, you know, to, to look at the example of another Welshman, the doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, we've got bombs dropping on London. And I don't know the details of whether or not there were lockdowns or, or, or what have you in that time, but bombs dropping so close to his church 
that that little like uh, dust and, and and chunks of mortar are falling down. He's brushing them off his shoulder pads as he's preaching, and yeah. he stood there in the pulpit and kept preaching. And if the government had said, "We recommend that you do not hold church services during German air raids of London," that would be a very sensible thing for them to recommend. I would understand that. And I would also understand Welshmen saying to the government, thank you for your concern. God save the queen. We will take your recommendation under due consideration. And you will know what we think about your recommendation by whether or not we meet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reality that uh, gathering for worship is illegal right now is a bit mind-blowing. So what are you going to do about it, Welshman? <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, I have who, my name. Who does uh, Nicola think she is to say that worship of the Most High King is illegal? While doctors in, for the NHS can still flip peckers, I'm sure, while children can be taught pornography in the schools, while she can steal your money and give it to some loser who's part of the quote-unquote benefit class. Who does she think she is to say that the Christians cannot march together to the throne room? Sure. <laughs> you know, but on, uh, on two levels, you know, I, I recognize the foolishness of um, the, the lack of consideration of who God is. On one side of it, I see the church's responsibility in that we pulled away so much. Our voice has just disappeared from the public sphere. Yeah. You know, I recognize that um, we have the leaders that we deserve. God has put her there, you know, yep. so there's that element to it. I, Joe Biden, I'm, baby. I'm uh, looking, um, so I was gathering with another minister to put together a letter that we sent that was signed by 200 Scottish ministers. That was one thing that we did. Christian Concern, who are most likely the reason that the English churches are now open during this lockdown because they put a court action to not just the English, but the Welsh governments as well. They do a lot of good so they're, they're helping us um, to do, to do this a similar thing in Scotland. So I have my name um, with another 30 or so pastors on that court action. So, you know, we're going through the, the legal system, but there is, there is just the realization that, discipleship wise i've not prepared my church really well for this and and i have to own that and i have to recognize that as a leader i need to be taking my people with me um you know and so that takes time and so i just have to recognize where i'm at um you know people in my congregation know where i stand um and you know we're just we're just trying to slowly slowly preach the gospel, preach the truth of God's word, correct where we have been weak previously, and then, you know, pray that God continues to change our hearts Amen. because he is challenging us during this time. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's, he's shaking us out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, changes, changes take time. They also take, you know, bold men to step forward and then others to join them. Um, so we'll see what happens with these particular maneuvers going forward. Who knows? I mean, where, where is that Christian concern 
letter in process is has it been sent you, you said it has been sent so uh the letter the original letter wasn't christian concern that was um that was several it was about five of us who okay. um wrote that and then another 200 signed he it heavy edits <laughs> some, there were some heavy edits going on it. <laughs> see you're, you're mr like uh non-voluntary welshman you're speaking too harshly for the scotsman <laughs> yeah. I wasn't uh, I wasn't being deferential enough to our <laughs> these, readers. These uh, Scotsmen need to drink more scotch, man. They need to get some uh, some Ardbeg, some peaty soil into their souls. So the, the court action, there was the original letter of intent that was sent, and then there was a response from the government. Okay. Um, and um, because they didn't concede our points, now it's going to go forward to the more official um, next stage, the petition, okay. the, the, the legal petition. And, so and Christian Concern has a pretty decent track record of handling its business in, in these kind of settings, right? Yeah, they, they were the Ashes case. I think you probably yeah. heard of that, the baker, yeah. which happened at the same time as the baker in, in America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, there are similar court cases going on. I don't know whether it's just gone through in your somewhere in America, but also in, I think, Germany and South Africa and several other places where similar court cases are going through. So there's, there's some pre precedent being set, which will help our cause here as well. Okay. Uh, pray that the Lord blesses those efforts. And <clears throat> something uh, that my pastor does frequently that I appreciate that you did in your answer is that when there is something going wrong, at a large level, his, his first impulse is to own that it is a product of his failures as a leader. And I think when, when Christians have leaders who have that impulse, uh, then we're moving in a good direction. If repentance leads us to green pastures, and that's certainly uh, a great blessing to have as a first step from, from our leaders, and praise God for it. Yeah, I mean, when we when we see the church respond exactly the same as the world, we, we have to have to take stock and think. Hang on, what have we been teaching these guys? Yeah, yep. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll leave you with a story, uh, a quick story. In America, there you know, America was settled, founded by Englishmen, Welshmen, Scotch Irish. Yeah, that's, and... that's where all our uh, that's where all our bravery went. That's where your troublemakers went. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. A lot of history goes into that. Yeah. Which is sad. A benefit to us. We'll see what we do with it. We might, um, you know, we might despise our heritage. But uh, I think it was a guy named Gideon, uh, Gideon Blackburn. Uh, I'm blanking on his last name, but I think his first name was Gideon. And uh, he was a Presbyterian in Tennessee, I think. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to plant a church and, and evangelize among this Indian tribe. And yep. he, he went to, he, he petitioned his presbytery. And you know, those Presbyterians can't just go do something. He had to petition his presbytery to get their blessing get the thumbs up, and then hopefully in addition to that, get uh, <clears throat> some funding. And he was denied because, you know, he was just too smart to waste his efforts 
on you know, barbarians. Mm-hmm. So the next Presbyterian meeting, Presbyterian meeting, he, he shows up and uh, <laughs> he's wearing his kilt because he's Scottish. He's wearing a kilt and back to your blue, blue paint uh, illusion. He's got his face painted blue. Nice. And this is before the movie. Nice. And he uh, goes to sit down among his, all these proper ministers. And then it's his turn to, get his, to give his ministry update. And he stands up and he just screams at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and, uh, and they were all persuaded by the end of that meeting to give him money and a blessing to go to the Indians. <laughs> so, what, well, brother... Uh, encouraged by your by your work uh, as a pastor, as a husband and father, and as a businessman, I um, I will be wise to to learn from you and to put your your efforts, your example into practice in my own life. I'm grateful that the Lord has given me friendship with you, and thank you for giving me some time in this year afternoon uh, and my early morning. I am gonna have to shift close off this so i can go pick up a trade and go pick up people's trash nice. but uh, i've i've appreciated this time and grateful for you thanks man it's been encouragement yes sir well thank you for listening and until next time brethren go with god <laughs>